Good morning, everybody. Good morning to those of you who are watching online or on demand, uh, live or on demand. Uh, we are starting a brand new series uh, today. It's going to be a six-week series, and it's called Your Story in God's Global Mission. And we're going to look today at about two big ideas, and I want to give you the first one right at the outset. So here's the first big idea. God does not custom make a mission for you. God does not custom make a mission for you. Now, I want to illustrate what I mean about a custom-made mission. Um, when all of our grandkids come over uh, for an evening, maybe, maybe an overnight, and the parents aren't there, uh, it's five, five kids, five grandkids, ages six, five, four, three, two. And uh, it's easy to remember that until one of them, like, jumps a little bit ahead and then it confuses me and I can't remember how old they are. But Lois comes up with some ideas, mostly Lois. She comes up with some ideas uh, to do some things, some activities that make sense for each one with their age or kind of groupings about around their ages or some of their interests. For example, our oldest grandchild, she loves doing tasks. That's kind of like what she really loves. She loves a game, uh, I think it's called Robot where she comes up to me and she says, what do you want me to do? And I tell her what to do. And almost always it's like, go and pull your mother's hair. Softly, you know, but do something to bug your mother or bug your dad. And she goes and then she comes back, what else do you want me to do? We can do that like an entire evening. She just loves working on tasks. Give her a vacuum cleaner and she's, she's happy. Uh, and she's six years old. Um, our second oldest uh, loves stories and making up worlds and all that kind of stuff, so there's a whole bunch of activities that Lois will come up for her. So recently, we had all five kids together for an evening, and Lois had the three oldest ones working on the counter. Uh, they're painting on aluminum foil there, and they did that for a long, long time. So the two youngest, the two- and three-year-old, uh, they were off at the table, and you can see one of them there taking spaghetti and putting it through that colander, and then there were uh, Cheerios, and you put those on the ends of the spaghetti. And two-year-old and a three-year-old, like, they did that for like 45 minutes, perfectly happy. So she, you could say in a sense, she custom-made a mission for them. Come over, we're going on a mission, I'm going to give you something to do. Um, that's custom made for you. So God doesn't quite do that for us. And there's a good reason. The reason has to do with the fact that what he does is even better. What he does for us is even better. When we're looking for God to custom make a mission for us, we're actually putting ourselves at the center of things. When we put ourselves at the center of things, we risk missing out on the better things that God is trying to do. So your God-given purpose is God-centered, not me-centered. God has a purpose for you. He has a mission for you. It's God-centered. It's not me-centered. And that's a really, really good thing. We had, uh, a few months ago, we had somebody come to Pizza with the Pastors. We always ask the question, um, one, of the, one of the questions we ask is, uh, if... Uh, we ask, how did you hear about Five Oaks? And the second question is, why did you come back? 
And, um, and so people tell us why, why they came back after they came one time. And uh, she said, well, I was attending a church in St. Paul, and I decided I needed to find another church. And she started watching online, and she started watching Five Oaks online, and she noticed that we put a high premium on teaching the Bible. And this is, these were not her exact words, but this is basically what she said. She said, at my last church, the whole focus was on putting ourselves at the center of things. I did that in college. It didn't work out very well. So we're going to look at what Jesus says about our mission as his people, specifically in Luke 24. And as we look at that, we're going to take a couple of side roads on a couple of interesting things that I think uh, uh, we can learn along the way looking at Luke 24. So I want to invite you to turn to Luke 24 in your Bibles. Uh, we say here frequently at Five Oaks that understanding the Bible and your part in God's story doesn't have to be a mystery. And so we look into the Bible, and I want to encourage you to just um, open your Bibles. Those of you who are in here, there are Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. It's around page 1060, 1060 in those, in those Bibles. Uh, so before we do that, we always pray a prayer of illumination, a prayer asking God the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word for us, and that's what we're going to do right now. And this prayer is based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, so please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word is truth and power. As we look to the scriptures, remind us that we are not just looking to letters on a page, not to a human message, but to your words given for us. Soften our hearts to receive your word and give us understanding by your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your truth that it might sustain us, transform us, and equip us to live our lives for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, as we normally do, we have a, uh, most weeks we have one of our five ochres read our scripture for today uh, to us, but during this six-week series, we're going to have our missionary partners do that for us, and I've asked them to kind of introduce themselves uh, along the way. So uh, let's, let's watch, and they'll be reading from Luke 24, beginning in verse 36. Hi, we are Denny and Nicole De Bruin, serving with Reach Global in Berlin, Germany. We've been here since 2014 uh, with our three children, Isaac, Leah, and Micah. And uh, our primary ministry is supporting German church planning efforts um, in the city, coming alongside pastors and, and church planners and helping to, to develop leaders um, to be involved in church planning in the city, as well as it's relational ministry and hospitality efforts. We spend a lot of time getting to know our neighbors, um, working with um, just relational outreach, having a place that people feel welcome and, and able just to come and relax and share life together. We do a lot of work with small groups um, within our church, and we have a new puppy, and so we spend a lot of time on the streets of our neighborhood getting to know people. He's been a really great door opener to a conversation that's been a lot of fun having him in our lives. We also um, support the broader efforts of the Reach Global Berlin team um, to help reach the city with the gospel uh, in a lot of different ways. Today's passage is Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. 
He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. All right, so we're going we're gonna to start a little bit earlier than verse 36 um, here, and uh, it's, it's a familiar story, but I want to give a little bit of the background of what kind of leads up to this. Um, it's the first Easter, so it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and two followers of Jesus are on their way to a town uh, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. They're walking there, and it's a town named Emmaus, and they're despondent. And Jesus kind of veils their eyes and goes, so they can't recognize him, and then he goes to them, and he starts walking with them, and he says, what are you guys talking about? And they kind of look at him and they say, you know, you've got to be the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened. And they start talking about Jesus being crucified and the fact that they thought he was the Messiah. And, uh, but the implication is he couldn't have been because he was crucified. And then they say, but there is a rumor that he's risen from the dead, which is really interesting. They show they don't believe the rumor because they don't stay to see if Jesus is there. They're actually walking away from the city in which Jesus has risen from the dead after telling all of his followers several times that he's going to die and he is going to rise from the dead. So on that road, Jesus famously explains that the whole Bible, what we call the Old Testament, their Bible, is about him. It's about his death. It's about his resurrection. It all points to that. And when he's explaining this to them, they're still not recognizing him. So if you look at verse 25 in chapter 24, so go a little bit earlier than our passage, uh, he said to them, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he goes back to Moses and the prophets, not just to some prophecies, but he goes back to the scripture itself, and he says, it's all pointing towards me. And it's because of passages like this one and other ones very similar to it that we say the Bible is the whole, the, as a whole, it's a story of Jesus. It's all pointing. The whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. So in John chapter, 30, chapter 5, uh, this is what Jesus says to some religious leaders. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Now, they don't believe in him. That's why he's, why he's saying this. 
yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And then a little bit later he says, if you believed Moses, meaning the first five books of the Bible, that's a short reference to the first five books of the Bible, you would believe me for he wrote about me. Okay, so this is way before the prophets, the later prophets, which we, we know that the prophets spoke about Jesus, but he's saying, no, Moses was speaking about me. Another way uh, to see that the Bible is all about Jesus is that the New Testament writers, they're always quoting the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. And they're using a, a whole variety of diverse Old Testament passages to explain that these passages and these teachings are pointing to Jesus. And so it's not just direct prophecies, but all kinds of things. As one person has uh, put it, the Old Testament is filled with prophets that predict him, patterns that preview him, and promises that anticipate him. As you look at the New Testament use of the Old Testament, you see it referring, again, not just to prophecies about the Messiah, but patterns that preview him, like the whole sacrificial system, and promises that anticipate him, like redemption, promises of redemption, promises of new life. So we come to today's passage, and Jesus says the same thing after saying it to the two disciples, not part of the 12, they were two disciples from the larger group that followed him, um, after saying it to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, now he comes and basically says the same thing to the to the 11 disciples minus Judas. Okay, so Judas isn't there. And, but he adds something that he didn't tell the other ones. And what he adds is really important, especially for what we're talking about today. So pick up in verse 44, where he shows up. We heard it in the reading. He's shown up uh, in this room where the disciples are gathered. And he said to them in verse 44, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, all right? So this is very similar to what he said to the people on the road, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, but there he just mentions the law of Moses and the prophets. Here he adds the Psalms. Now, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, by saying those three things together, it was the typical way that his fellow Jewish people spoke about the whole scripture in Jesus' day. That was one of the ways. Now, when he says just the law of Moses and the prophets, that's another way of doing it. But now he gives a little bit of a broader description. He's saying the whole Bible. And I get a lot of questions uh, over the years. I get questions uh, about how th this Bible that we have, the books that are collected in here, the 66 books that are collected in here, how is it that they, were, that they came together? And so I want to stop just for a moment and do a, just a, a little aside on this. I want to show you a Bible project video that it's my first answer to that question. And then um, it gives some broad strokes about how that happens. And then you can get into, you can go deeper and get into the details of different decisions that were made along the way. Uh, but let's, let's watch the, uh, the Bible project video about how this Bible comes together. The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So 
What is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand-year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually, they were conquered by the Babylonians, who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures begin to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible. What's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the Law. That's Israel's five-book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced during this Second Temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. But what did the early Christians think of the other Second Temple literature? Well, different groups had different views about some of these books, but we know they read them and valued these texts because they passed them along with the Jewish scriptures. Okay, so we've got the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. We've got these other Second Temple period works. Then the writing of the apostles about Jesus. And that's a lot of literature, so what's in my Bible?
So the Christian movement has taken different forms over 2,000 years, and from the beginning, all Christians recognized the Tanakh and the New Testament as scripture. And for centuries, much of the Second Temple literature was read as part of the biblical tradition. The Catholic Church eventually made it official and called some of the books from this collection the Deuterocanonical books. Some Orthodox churches used even more books from this Second Temple literature. And then in the 1500s, during the Reformation, Protestant Christians wanted to go back to the oldest writings of the prophets and apostles, so they accepted only the Old and New Testaments. Okay, I think I got it. But how does a collection of books produced over a thousand years by all these different authors tell one unified story? Yeah, that's the question we'll address in our next video. All right, hopefully that answers some of your questions or raises new ones that you can go and do a little bit more digging on. Uh, but let's pick up on verse 45 where, okay, he has said uh, already that everything had to be fulfilled that was in the, what we call the Old Testament, what they called their scriptures, the New Testament is not written at this point. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. So they needed... Uh, some special help in being able to understand the Bible. We pray every week before the sermon, we pray a prayer of illumination. You probably do the same thing as you open your Bible daily. You pray for God to illuminate his word, to, to help you understand it, that God the Holy Spirit would, would bring to mind or would help you understand what it says as well as to empower you uh, to live it. We pick up in verse 46. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So all the parts of the Bible, Law of Moses, the um, prophets, and the Psalms, he says, but that's another way of saying the writings uh, in his day, point to the death of the Messiah and his resurrection. Okay, so his suffering and his rising from the dead. It's all about Jesus. But what he says next in this passage is often missed. And I have to admit that even though I know this, I oftentimes forget. And when I'm telling people, well, the whole Bible is about Jesus, uh, I go back to the earlier passage on the road to Emmaus, and I say, see, this is what it says here. Jesus says the Bible is about him. But that's not all that Jesus said, as we see in this passage. And, um, and, so, and, and what he says here is why I say God doesn't custom make a mission for you. So pick up in verse 45 again. So he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, what he told the other disciples. But now I want you to look at the very next word, and, verse 47. So you can do this in one of our Bibles. Uh, if you have one of them in your own Bible at home, you can do it. Circle that word. Because it's not the whole story that the Bible tells. There's a second part to the story. And the second part is, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, the Bible is about me, the Messiah. It speaks of my death and my resurrection. And it speaks of my ongoing mission even after I'm gone. 
the mission to take, specifically the way he described it, describes it, this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible is about Jesus and the mission of his people, the ongoing mission of his people. And it's going to be preached to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Now, I don't think I have a question about this in your sermon application guide uh, for your small groups this week. But you might want to do a little bit of study on this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And to kind of focus yourself on it, you might want to like, look up for uh, repentance in the book of Acts, which is the second volume Luke picks up on, you know, on this story and tells the story of the early church. And see what that message is, that message of repentance. So there's a little extra extra bonus question for uh, your small groups this week. So he says this message is going to be spread, and it's going to begin in Jerusalem, and it's going to spread to all nations, to all nations. So I'm going to say this probably more than once in this series. Uh, We'll return to this probably more than once, Uh, but it's this. You and I, we're here today. This church exists. All churches around us exist because someone on their way to someplace else shared the gospel. Every single one of us. I mean, if we were to trace our spiritual lineage, you know, we heard it from this church or from a Sunday school teacher or from our parents, and you trace it back, we came to know Christ because someone on their way to someplace else, shared the gospel. It didn't stay in Jerusalem. That's where it starts. It starts in Jerusalem, but it didn't stay in Jerusalem. Now, you could say there probably were people in Jerusalem who would say, well, we don't need to go to the rest of the world, to the other nations, because Jerusalem has needs. I mean, God's people. I mean, this is, this is the center of Judaism. Let's stay here, and until we complete the mission here, you know, there's, and there's, there's poverty, and there's hunger, there's needs for compassion and justice ministries here. Why would we go outside of Jerusalem when our fellow Jews here in Jerusalem have so many needs? Well, the gospel did. And as you read the book of Acts, uh, they leave Jerusalem because they're forced to leave Jerusalem. It's, it's not like they immediately packed up and started going to the other nations. They're forced to leave, and the gospel spreads. So I want you to imagine with me the gospel spreads because of persecution. The gospel spreads to the Mediterranean world. And imagine a day when the Christians in the Mediterranean world start getting to know more about the Germanic people and the people from Norway and Sweden and the people from Great Britain and France, and imagine they say, why should we take the gospel to lighter-skinned people when olive-skinned people still have so many needs right around us? Why should we take them? Well, the answer is very simple. The answer is because Jesus said to do it. Jesus said, take the gospel to the whole world. Now, Jesus affirmed, take the gospel right where you are. 
but he said part of the mission of the church is to take the gospel to all nations. As it says at the end of verse 40, 47, beginning at Jerusalem. But I want to go back to the starting point uh, of this sermon where I said Jesus doesn't custom make a mission for you. Why? Because he already has a mission. He has a mission. And he calls you to his mission, not to your mission. He calls you to his mission. You are part of a global mission to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. His mission is what he called you and I to do. It's what he equips us to do. He equips us with gifts from the Holy Spirit. He equips us through the ministry of local churches to do this ministry. He empowers us to do this mission by the Holy Spirit. You, you, you know, us, we may never be, a, 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 you may never be a preacher, you may never be a missionary that goes someplace else, you may never be a global evangelist, but you're part of the mission to the whole world, to all the nations, if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, could have put an asterisk in what I had said earlier, um, he gives you, within his mission, special assignments, right? And so in that sense, he custom makes a mission for you. So if it's a little M mission, like this is what I want you to do right now. You've got a mission to your neighborhood right now. Or you're part of a church that's got a mission in Haiti, and I'm calling you to go maybe on a short-term mission trip to Haiti to help there or something like that. Okay, so in that sense, you can say he custom makes a mission for you. But but not in the larger sense. It's his mission. He's at the center. It, we are not uh, at the center. And, um, and so that's the foundation of this entire series. That's all I wanted to get across today. We're part of a worldwide mission. And it's God's mission, uh, not, our, not our own mission. So next week we're going to do a flyover, uh, primarily the Old Testament. And we're going to see how this mission that Jesus calls the disciples to do, he says, well, the whole Bible talks about this mission. And so we're going to do a really quick flyover of various passages that show that, that maybe you read before, or maybe you weren't even aware of, were there, and it actually permeates the entire story of the Old Testament, this mission uh, to all the nations. Um, so that's next week. Then there's four more weeks in the series. In those four weeks, what we're going to be looking at is how in the New Testament, regular everyday people were part of a global mission. And then with each one of those sermons, those four sermons, there'll be how can we be as regular ordinary people who are never going to be missionaries, um, maybe never going to be missionaries, how can we be part of that global mission? So we'll spend four weeks uh, doing that. And so we're going to see that every believer today is God's people, and that includes, you know, you and me, every one of God's people has a part in God's global mission. Um, I, I, I missed something, I think. Um, yeah, I want to go back because I, maybe the slide went up. Can we go back to the slide where it says God does not custom make? Yeah. All right. So just to kind of 
I wanted to drive home. This is the foundational statement. God does not custom make a mission for you. He custom makes you for his mission. All right. I don't know how I skipped that, but I wanted to get that in there. Okay, so I want to encourage you to do a few things throughout this series so that you can get the most out of this series. Uh, I'm going to suggest so many things. You can't do them all. All right, so don't try. If you try to do them all, you've got a problem. All right. Um, and, uh, but try to do one of these, uh, maybe a couple. And so uh, one, of, one of the things is every week right after the sermon, our commons is going to be an extension of what we're doing here or of this series. And so that's going to be true every single week um, of this series. And so I want to tell you what's happening out there today so you can stop by or at least from a distance look at some of the things that are going on. Um, one of the things is there is a, a thing called the 12-verse challenge, the 12-verse challenge. And so you might want to participate in the 12-verse challenge. You can go and get some information on how to do that. Now, here's what the 12-verse challenge is about. So 10 uh, or 11 of the biggest Bible translation organizations from around the world that are trying to put the Word of God into every language that exists, because there's still all kinds of languages that don't have the Word of God in their language. Um, 11 of those organizations that do that came together uh, a few years ago, or some, a while ago, I'm not sure exactly when, and they set a target date of 2050 to complete translations of all languages, translations of the Bible. Uh, they are making so much progress that they've changed the date to 2033. And so the 12-verse challenge is an opportunity for you to help fund that to happen, all right? So you can go over there and take a look at that. Uh, the other thing that's out there is um, uh, a map that shows a 1040 window and what the 1040 window is about. And so it's an opportunity to learn. Right along the bottom, you can read what the 1040 window is about. Uh, and, it, and there's also a website on a big screen, television screen, and you can kind of explore what the 1040 window is about. It's, it's basically a part of the world where like 5 billion people live and the gospel is barely being proclaimed there. Five billion people. And uh, in many of the cities and countries, there is not a church, or there may be one, two, or three churches. And so their mission organizations have always put, um, many mission organizations have put a premium on trying to go to the 1040 window so that all nations have a witness of the gospel. So you can, you can see that. It's, it's pretty stark, and it's a small part of the world map, um, and I think it might shock you a little bit. Another thing that's out there is uh, Secret Church. That's happening next Friday night, and Secret Church is an annual event that runs on a Friday night, and the whole idea is to be praying and studying the Scripture and praying specifically about the persecuted church all around the world. And um, so next week, we're going to have two of our global missions partners here with us, and they're going to be able to share some updates. They'll be out in the commons as well. Now, in your sermon application guide, there's a bunch of stuff, resource section that I have there. And uh, this is where, you know, maybe choose one of these things. Uh, so one of them is we have our daily life devotional that coincides with what we're preaching on uh, every week. So we have a five-day devotional. Uh, both you can get it in your inbox, but you can also subscribe on whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can listen to the Daily Life podcast. 
And on Mondays, we have a special section at the end where you can pray for our missions partners and get a little bit more detail about what some of their needs are. So this would be one thing you could do. At least do daily life on Mondays. At least go to the end and pray for our missions partners. And this goes on beyond this series. You can do that. Another thing, if you have kids or uh, youth in your home, um, you may want to watch uh, a video series on YouTube called The Wild Brothers. And so one of their series is called, um, it's called Highlands to Island. And there's 30 episodes. I showed this last night and Lois, my wife, saw it. She goes, we've got to watch that. <laughs> And, uh, and so we're, we're, well, I've watched part of it, but we're, we're going to watch the whole thing. And uh, so I want to show you a portion of the first episode of this particular series. Let's, let's watch. Hey guys, I'm Morgan Wild. Welcome to our vlog, Highlands to Island. This is a brand new vlog that my brothers and I are kicking off, and we thought that it would be appropriate to start the first episode with a little bit of background information, some history, kind of who we are in a nutshell and what we're all about. So our story really starts out with my parents. My mom and dad, they were newly married, living in Florida, my dad was a boat captain and he ran a charter business there. And one day he found out that there's still people left in the world who had never heard about the gospel. They didn't have a scrap of God's word written in their language and would probably never have the opportunity to hear about the gospel unless somebody would get off their bum, go and take that message to them. And that, that whole concept of missions really challenged my dad. And he was a young man, he had a young family but he felt like that was something that he wanted to do, and that was something that he wanted to bring his family into. And so in 2003, he uh, moved my family over to Indonesia. Yeah, my parents' decision to come over here to the mission field with three kids and one on the way, that was a big, big decision for them, and something I really respect. So when my parents came over to work on the mission field, my mom was pregnant with me. And soon after, I was born on the island of Java, and we've been living here in Indonesia ever since. And yeah, Indonesia is a beautiful, amazing place, and it's definitely home for me. Ever since my dad first heard about tribal missions, our family's been on fire for missions in general, and just spreading the gospel. And it seems so clear, you know, the Bible said, as Jesus' last commandment, to go into the nations and make disciples for him. And so, you know, we think as a family that everybody, every Christian, should be working towards this end goal. There's needs all over the world, but my parents felt drawn to Indonesia and the island of Papua especially. Indonesia is the largest archipelago in the world, made up of many large and small islands. Uh, Papua is just one of the provinces of Indonesia, and that's where we've been living and working for uh, about 13 years now. So my brothers and I, we grew up in the highlands of Indonesia, 
the rugged virgin jungles of Papua among an amazing people, the Wano. All right, so that gives you a little bit of a preview and understanding of what, what, that, uh, what that's like. There's another series that they do where one of the sons is going to be going off to college. And so the whole series is about building a boat that they're going to take from um, Papua to, I don't, I don't know if it's the States or where, they're going to they're gonna go by boat and they build the boat and they go. And so uh, you can imagine there's, there's a lot of adventures along the way. And uh, along the way, they also talk about the global mission of the church. Uh, for those of you who uh, have kids at home, you can download a family devotional. It's listed in your resources section. It's called The Journey to Become a Family on Mission for God. And so you have an opportunity there to do a daily devotional. Um, I think it goes longer than this series, but you could start it during this series. Uh, another thing you might want to do is read a missionary biography. So I've listed in the Sermon Application Guide some uh, biographies for adults as well as some that are good for families. And, um, you know, I still I have a picture in my, my head of Lois uh, in our bed with our kids who are now grown, you know, little, sitting next to her as she was reading one of these kids' missionary biographies uh, to them and uh, giving them a vision for, for the whole world because of that. also came across an incredible homeschool curriculum, and uh, it's called To Every Nation, a study of 12 missionaries and their great God. It's a great way of, of getting kind of missions history and some of the things that people went through to take the mission of God to the whole world. And while doing that as a homeschool curriculum, you also learn geography and other things uh, along the way. Um, so that's listed also in the Sermon Application Guide. So I encourage you strongly, uh, do something uh, to expand your vision to include what God is calling us to do in the whole world and how we can be a part of that. And uh, we'll, we'll look at some very specific ways uh, along the way. So let's begin our response uh, to God's word now together. And uh, if you would take your communion packet, take the little plastic first, the clear plastic off at the top. We have this mission because Jesus... Just think of the passage that we just read, the one on the road to Emmaus, just a few days earlier. He had gathered his 12 disciples, and he had celebrated Passover with them. And he had explained what was going to happen. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be scourged. He was going to go to the cross, and he was going to die for our sins. And he said, this Passover meal always pointed, all along, it's always been pointing to me. This is one of those those patterns that you can go to the Old Testament and see. And he took the bread of Passover and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup that the Jewish people had been celebrating Passover for hundreds and hundreds of years. And he said, this is my blood shed for the remission of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God that was concerned and is concerned for the nations. And because you've been concerned for the nations, we are here today. We know you, and we love you, and we know about Jesus, and we have new life in him. Father, help us to be part of your mission to go to the entire world. 
to bring your love everywhere we go. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.